Hello, my name's Luke Mitchell. Welcome to Founder Chats with Be Purple, the University of Brighton's entrepreneurship support service. In this series, we interview business owners, many of them graduates of the university, most of them in the first five years of their ventures, to find out the secrets of their success so far. How did they get started? What challenges have they faced and how did they overcome them? And what advice and inspiration can they offer to others looking to go it alone? In this third episode, I speak to Fike Aktulga, the owner of Wildfangs, an educational exotic animals encounters business based in North London. Fike studied business at the University of Brighton and initially wanted to go and work in the city. However, things didn't go entirely to plan as he found himself competing against hundreds of other graduates, all going for the same roles. So Fike decided to take everything he'd learned about business and applied it instead to his passion, rescued exotic pets. Fike is an inspiration to those who found themselves stuck in a situation that they feel they can't control. He took fate into his own hands and over the last few years has been establishing himself as the go-to company in North London for schools and parents interested in their children experiencing exotic animals for the first time. In this interview, Fike explains his journey and reveals some of the secrets of his success. Remember that Founder Chats are recorded out in the real world in a public space, so do expect some background sounds. In this particular episode, I met Fike in his local cafe, Millennium, on the Holloway Road in Tufnell Park. Um, Fike, let's talk about uh, when you first went to university. What did you study and what was the sort of inspiration behind studying that? So um, I initially started doing, um, an, I'd done a three-year undergrad in business management with marketing um, at Mifras House. Uh, and then once I graduated um, from my undergrad, I went to um, uh, the East. I studied in the Eastbourne campus, doing a master's degree in international events management. Um, so I done. Both, I, fi- I ended up with finishing both my degrees, um, and I just kind of entered the the real world, uh, which obviously you know it's not like the uh, insulated, lovely bubble of, of university life. Um, and I realised it's, it's a big, wide world out there. And unfortunately, like even like now, a few years down the line, students are finding the same sort of problem where there's just not enough jobs to go around. Um, and I became very disillusioned because I was applying for jobs, um, you know, just like churning out CVs and cover letters every day. And I initially started doing stuff which I might be interested in. Um, and then I was, you know, you don't even get like a, an email back or anything. Um, and then I was getting more desperate and applying for things which I was loosely interested in and then eventually just applying for anything. Um, and it got to a point where I was just really, you know, really disillusioned with it because I was essentially having to write a cover letter, um, which was a complete lie, complete fallacy, just making stuff up about why I was interested in, I don't know, being an insurance broker or, you know, one of those generic office job type things um, or like sales, call, not call centre, but, you know, like sales and stuff like that. Um, and it got to about Christmas so I finished my masters in September um, and it got to about Christmas time um, and again like literally I hadn't even I don't think I'd even got an interview at that stage um, and I decided to kind of sit down over like the Christmas break and, and you know think like of a bigger picture and in an ideal world if I could do anything what, what would it be that I wanted to do um, unfortunately by that stage I was a little bit too old and uh I had two left feet, so I was never going to be a footballer. Um, so my other passion was was animals, um, and then it was a case of okay, well, what jobs can I can I do that involve animals, basically? 
um, and one of the people on my master's course um, she you know like I was having a discussion with her just you know like a general chit chat on whatsapp um, and she forwarded me like a link to London Zoo and they had a, a position um, which was for an animal presenter and it was then I kind of clicked I was like wow like that would be something I would, I would absolutely love to do um, basically just kind of uh, getting across my passion for animals and teaching people about, about animals um, to like an audience essentially and you know like using the animals as well to kind of demonstrate their natural behaviours um, so and you again, had animals when you were a kid? Yeah so I had, I had a few things growing up um, we never had like a dog or a family dog or family cat um, we had like goldfish and um, like smaller pets budgies, cockatiels, that type of stuff um, I remember like as a kid going to Cyprus which is where my family are from um, and there were like little skinks which are like small lizards um, and they'd be like running up the walls and stuff and, and I'd try and like catch them with my dad catch like grasshoppers in the fields um, so it's like obviously something I'd, I'd always loved as a child um, it was like my passion but I'd never kind of considered it as like a, as, like, a job um, pretty much I didn't know what type of jobs you, apart from zookeeper I didn't know like, what type of jobs you could do essentially um, and then once I uh, saw this job role for animal for like an animal presenter at London Zoo, uh, it was like a similar sort of thing which I had done uh, post uh, like just after uni, where I sent a cover letter, sent a CV, right. exact same stuff. Um, and then again, yeah, didn't <laughs> didn't hit back um, because you know working for London Zoo is obviously like the holy grail of, of, of that industry, if you like. Um, but I wasn't as disheartened because like the light bulb would click so to speak and I was like wow like you know I'm gonna go down this industry now I'm gonna go down this route um, so the next stage was um, kind of thinking more pragmatically about you know what kind of skills do I need at hand to, to, to work in this industry um, so I think it was in January in the first week of January I sent like a, a load of emails off to pretty much anywhere within like a 40 mile proximity uh, of where we are here in Holloway um, like any sort of uh, city farms or, or animal sanctuaries or, or anything like that um, trying to get like some hands-on work experience so my idea was to volunteer um, and pretty much just to learn how to like look after like a larger scale of animals in terms of the husbandry um, um, and also to get some hopefully I wanted to go somewhere where they'd done like animal encounters and presentations so I could also learn, learn like the skills of you know keeping an audience captivated and interested in animals um, as you can imagine if you've, if, you know, if you've got a live animal in your hands and you've got like a, a family of, of, of people in front of you uh, and children as well you know you need to kind of practice how to how to uh, get get things under control as it were um, and keep keep the children engaged keep the animals safe and, and that kind of stuff um, so I got a um, I, I got um, I say a placement I ended up volunteering um, at a, an urban zoo um, I was there for about six months I initially done one day a week and then it moved to two days a week um, so I was in like kind of the reptile room because my interest was exotics um, you know, like doing the day-to-day -day husbandry, helping the, the animal raisers out there, learning about the animals, always asking questions. Um, and also I was kind of um, interested in the the business side of it as well, because obviously, you know, it was something I wanted to go into. Um, so I was asking questions about like where they place their orders from, 
um, you know how their bookings work how deposits work in terms of people booking and paying a deposit and you know like the logistics side of it as well orders for a group visit um, so like by that point I, I started trying to think like maybe initially I went in there thinking I could perhaps get a job as one of the animal rangers and, and do some shows there um, and then quickly I realised that you know it's something like it wasn't beyond the realms of possibility of me doing it myself okay um so you're starting to understand how they're exactly so the, so the cogs were kind of in motion and, and once you realize their process of how they you know how it works and stuff um you know that's then you can kind of sort to make a decision about whether it's something feasible for, for, for someone to do on their own or not um and then uh yeah i remember one morning before going off to to the to the, to the place to do it to, to the um to the tropical zoo, uh, I was in the car park um, of, of Asda around the corner. Because um, I, I, it was quite far away, I had to get up quite early to get there, and I was like, oh, I can sneak in some breakfast before you know I start my shift at 8:30. Um, and I remember just being like, oh, I remembered be purple. Um, so I think I it was it was Sam who I emailed and I said, you know, like uh, I've, it's very raw at the moment. It's just something. You know, like a little light bulb in my head about something I might want to try. Um, you know, at the moment it's, it's more of a hobby. I don't know anything about whether it would be feasible as a business or something that can generate money, essentially, to put it crudely. Um, and he got back to me almost straight away. He said, yeah, like, do you want to come down to Brighton for like a, a one-on-one, like, initial session um, to, to get the ball rolling? Right. Um, so then that's when I was kind of learning going back to, to to the zoo and learning kind of more of the logistical side of it because I knew now like you know it was going towards me perhaps testing if it was feasible to do it on my own um, yeah so then I went for my initial uh, meeting with Sam um, and he we had like this worksheet it was like a nothing was a nine-step worksheet right planning grid that's the one, yeah, yeah. So it starts off with like your raw idea, and as you work through answering the, the questions, it kind of hones it into whether it's feasible or not. I think that, that was that might be the planning group. Yeah. And I, I thought that was really useful actually. Um, and like I literally met Sam, and I was like, look, this is it's barely even an idea. It's pretty much just like a dream, like a pipe dream. Um, I have no idea about like budgeting. I have no idea about like how to run a business, day-to-day, tax, anything like that. Which is ironic because I've done a business management degree. Um, but one of my gripes is, you know, it's all academic stuff. You don't learn literally anything at all about running a business. Um, so with the help of Sam, like, he said, okay, go away with the planning grid, do some, like, market research, um, try and, like, uh, you know, like, really test if it's feasible or not. Um, and the other thing which he told me about, which was really important, was the Lean Startup? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a book. I can't remember who it's written by Eric Ries. That might be the yeah. Well, there you go. Um, so the Lean Startup is essentially uh, for people that don't know. So when you have an idea for a business, instead of coming up with a really grandiose idea, um, you want to start with the leanest version of your business. So essentially, the smallest marketable version of it, which you can take to your prospective clients to see whether it's something people are interested in or not. Um, I was a little nervous because obviously my lean start would still involve acquiring animals, live animals. Um, I was 
reason I'm so nervous about that is it's not like you know if you start up a different like a t-shirt company for example um, you know you can get some t-shirts printed if it doesn't work out you know they can go in the attic and that's the end of it for example you know when you acquire animals they're yours to look after and, and, and keep um, so I was a little bit nervous about if it didn't if it, you know if it didn't work out um, I've essentially flooded my parents' house with, with some, some exotic animals and snakes and all sorts. Right. <laughs> um, and it, it took like a, it took Sam pretty much giving me a kick up the backside because we'd meet periodically and he'd be like, "Okay, have you have you bought the animals yet?" And I kind of think of an excuse for why I didn't, why I hadn't done it. And he'd be like, "Look, you need to like buy some animals, do like some initial small visits to, to your, like your local school or nursery." Um, and see how it goes and I was like okay no but let me do you know let me do some more ringing around first and he was like no like you need to you need to go to market now essentially with, with the lean version of, of your of your company to see if it works so um, what animals did you buy to start off with so it's quite funny um, <laughs> the first sort of like week where I decided you know it was it was it was a green light and I was going to start actually putting this plan together um, I'd leave the house and I'd come back with like a like a different exotic animal. Um, I think my dad found it really funny. He's like, "Are we going to bring back tomorrow? What is it this time?" Um, I was very conscious, especially with like reptiles. Um, unfortunately, that a lot of people buy them um, as like an impulse buy, um, and then they they realise they don't want them anymore. Or you know, it's not something that's going to a snake's not going to play fetch with you. Um, and especially if you buy it for like a child, sometimes people fall into that trap and then they kind of, you know, unfortunately get bored of the animals as it were. Um, so I made sure all the animals that I, I bought were like rehomed. Um, so I wasn't going to a pet shop and buying buying an animal. I was, I was giving giving one that had already um, been, been, you know, that, that someone didn't want anymore, a, a new home essentially. Um, I decided that I'd kind of um, talk to maybe like some, par- talk to some parents and that kind of stuff to see if it's something they'd be interested in. Um, so I'd done a, a free of charge session uh, in our local pub. Um, it's like a, so it's like a pub slash like gas like a gastro type pub. So they get a lot of like parents with kids in there as well. Um, so the week before, I went to like all the all the like local playgrounds around the schools and, and outside schools um, at, at the end of the day with flyers. Um, and everyone loves a freebie, so I wasn't saying, you know, this is this is what I'm doing. I was saying, are we doing a free exotic animal show on Friday? Uh, come along. Um, and then it got to Friday, uh, and there was quite a lot of people, to be fair. Um, and you know, at that point, I only had, I think, four animals. Um, I had some hissing cockroaches. I had a snake. Um, I had some chinchillas and some stick insects. Um, and I'd done like a like a little animal show, essentially like a small version of what I was kind of wanting to do, um, you know, as a service. Mm-hmm. Um, introduce people to who I was, what I, what I was about, what I was going to be doing. And we'd done like a free session in the pub for for about best part of an hour, um, and kind of introduced what it was we were going to be doing. And at that point, I was still um, I was still at the the um, uh, the farm, the urban zoo farm. Um, still volunteering there for the time being um, so I was still kind of practicing my presentation skills and that kind of stuff yeah what were the challenges in those early days I, as you can imagine it, it's, it's you know the, there is quite a technique to to being able to you know present live animals uh, and keep an audience interested especially with young children yeah um, 
and then get the information across. So that was something that took a little bit of time to, to learn. Um, and again, like with younger children, like learning how to engage with them, um, making sure the information doesn't go over their heads. Um, even to this day, like often the best way is just mirroring the way they regurgitate the information to you. Um, so there's a program, I don't know if you've got kids or if you know about it, there's a program called PJ Masks, um, which is basically like Power Rangers, but, but like for children these days. And there's a character called Gecko in that. So for a long time while I was doing my encounters, the children would always be shouting, PJ Masks, PJ Masks, whenever I introduced the geckos. Um, and then one day I, I YouTubed it. And from now on, like before I introduced the geckos, the first thing I say is, has anyone seen PJ Masks? And of course, the children's hands will shoot up. Uh, the practitioners or parents look around like I'm crazy. Um, and then I say, okay, so what are the characters in PJ Masks? And we go through them. So you've got Catboy, you've got Owlet, and the last one is, and then they will say, Gecko. Um, so it's just learning things like that, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, how else is just sort of the show, if you can call it that? How's yeah. It, how's it developed? Is it, is it, do you feel like it's really come a long way and you've crafted yeah definitely especially when you're working with with young children you know it needs to be quite concise Um, so the the longest our sessions are is an hour Um, and even then you don't want to go down like a a rabbit hole with the information because you know if you work especially with early years they're like five and younger you know you want it to be really concise information stuff they can understand and then also you you know you've got to learn the, the techniques for, for how how safely for the children to hold the animals, um, safe for the animals basically, because um, the animals we use aren't necessarily you know mm. going to be harmful for children or people. Um, but you know ways for, to make sure the animals are comfortable and and uh, you know so we do like rules. So uh, if you don't like the animal, you cross your arms. You say no, thank you. We don't scream. We don't run around. Um, we use our kind hands we open two hands like a book to hold the smaller animals um, and it's really funny because when you do repeat visits at places the kids remember the rules um, and they tell each other off if, if you don't like it you say no thank you we don't scream we don't hurt the animals it's really sweet that they kind of take that on board as well yeah so how did you get your customers how have you built up customers so one of the the mistakes I made at the start um, was I I'd started using um, cold calling mm-hmm. essentially um, so I'd kind of go online I'd look up like my nearest nurseries get the phone number off Google um, phone them up um, and as you can imagine like especially in like a nursery setting they've got a million and one things to do uh, you know they've got young children to, to look after they haven't really got the time to essentially listen to some guy on the phone trying to sell them something um, and I was getting really really frustrated um, but I've realised over time the biggest marketing tool is word of mouth and it sounds like it's not true it sounds like something you know like a woolly saying some people would say um, but it, it, there's nothing like it there's nothing like someone recommending you when you when you're not in the room if you see what I mean so um, one of my one of the things I'm the most proud of about with Wild Fangs um, is is the feeling I got like when initially I started to get um, bookings and stuff that was through people being like oh we've heard about you through so and so or we've seen you online or whatever um, because at first it kind of feels a little bit like people almost doing you a favour because um, your initial contact because you know, no one's ever heard of you you just made up the company's a few days old um, is phoning people up you know and being like oh we can do this for you we can do that for you and then when they say yes it sort of felt a little bit like they were doing you a favour 
um, especially if they're from like you know like the Tuffman Park community and they know you anyway. Um, so for me, what I really loved was when it got to the point where there were people calling me up who literally don't even know who I am, and th- their sole purpose for calling me is because they've heard about Wild Fangs and they've heard, they've heard good things and they want to get Wild Fangs in. Cause it, but yeah, it's just it's just quite nice to to know that you know you work so hard to build this thing. Um, and it doesn't, you know, it's definitely something that people are interested in because the people you've never had prior contact with that have searched it out and, and, and they're trying to book you. Yeah. How long did it take to get to the stage where you're mostly getting word of mouth referrals? So it's like a trickle down effect. So the longer you're going for, the quicker it kind of expands, a bit like almost like a pyramid, I guess. And how long um, have you been going now? So now we've been doing it for three and a half years. Um, the first year was, was really slow. Um, I was quite lucky because because um, obviously I live I live at home with my parents, um, so you know my living costs were very slim, so I could afford to you know almost earn no money for for the best part of, of a year, um, just to get the business up and running, um, which would be something I'd say is is like a disadvantage with like a you know like some people fair enough have to do it like part time with other work and balance it out. Um, but I was very lucky and very fortunate in the fact that I could kind of go head first into it and essentially work full time on it even if the bookings weren't full time if you see what I mean What kind of level of relationship do you maintain with your customers now? So, so for me personally like, I think customer rapport is, is, is the best thing it's you know, essential um, I see myself as quite like, a, like an open and friendly person with, with my clients um, so often when I go into like nurseries, um, you know, I'll do like my work and then I'll kind of pop into like the office on the way out, you know, have like a chat with like the, the, the manager and, and the, um, the admin person and those kind of people, and, you know, make sure that they've seen your face and you're friendly and they like you. Um, because essentially, you know, if you've, got a, if you've got a similar product or service to someone else and your prices are going to be competitive, but they're going to be, you know, more or less the same sort of ballpark. Um, which falls between a, a budget. You want something that's going to make you stand out, um, and of course, you know, like I'm, I'm confident that what we do is, is is the best. But you know, someone else might be a close second, for example. Um, so I like to kind of build like a, a personal rapport with with my clients, um, even if it's not, you know, just having like a general chit chat about about their day, about like I was coming up to Christmas, for example. Have you got any plans for Christmas or the summer holidays? Um, I really take the time to kind of do that, that kind of stuff as well. I see that as, as a really important part of, of what we do, um, away from the kind of nuts and bolts of the actual science. What are the types of clients that you have? So obviously one schools. So we have schools, um, nurseries. So funnily enough, going back to talking about how I built up my client base, I realized it was a lot easier to get through to the people with decision-making authority and spending power in a nursery or preschool than it is in a school. Because if you think of like the, the, the span of control, for example, if you call up a nursery, um, you know, you might get the, the office admin or whoever, but the manager's only gonna be in the next room uh, or maybe even in the same room if it's like a smaller setting. With a school, you phone up the secretary and you wanna get through to the deputy head or the science coordinator or the headmistress or the headmaster, you've got zero to no chance of getting them on the phone. Um, so it just so happened that I ended up veering towards early years because I was, it was easier to get in contact with those type of people. Um, 
so yeah, in terms of my clientele, uh, we've got like nursery managers and nursery directors, be like the ones in the earlier sector who, who made the decisions. Um, in primary schools, um, very often it will be the, the classroom teacher who will contact us, um, but the decision will be made by some primary schools have a science coordinator, um, and others it will be just the, the head teacher. Um, we also do like work for care homes, so that is with the activities coordinator. Okay. So another another like um, uh, like hurdle was essentially knowing who to ask for when you phone up these places in the early days, um, because if you just start doing a sales pitch to like a, a receptionist, they're just going to tell you to, to go away to put it politely. Um, whereas if you can literally phone them up and say, "Can I speak to the activities coordinator? Can I speak to the, to the manager? Can I speak to the science coordinator?" Um, <laughs> you still probably only got a 50-50 chance. But uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's a bit easier that way. Um, have, you, have you thought about the growth of the business, like how it might grow over the years? Is there any potential for like taking on board staff? Or do you want to go in that direction? Yeah, I think because what we do is a service and it's not a product. You do get to a point, a saturation point, because there's only so many places that can be at one time. Um, so recently, I've been looking to, to expand um, and get get someone to help me out and, and do some of the visits as well. Um, but I'm very conscious of um, keeping the quality to the same standard. So, for example, as I was mentioning before, you know, I like to build that personal rapport with my clients, um, and I'd want someone who'd, who'd be the same. Uh, you know, the way I see it, um, if you're doing a nine-to-five job. Um, Unfortunately, for, for, for a lot of people, it depends on what you're doing, I suppose, but for, for some people, um, you know, you're looking at the clock, you're doing like the, 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 the set amount to get through the day and then you leave. Um, and I wouldn't want someone like that to, to be representing Wild Fangs because especially what we do as well, we work with children, we work with elderly people and we work with animals. Um, so you want someone who's gonna, you know, give that extra care and, and time and effort. Um, Especially like with, with younger children, you can imagine like you know it can get quite unruly sometimes in the classroom, and you want someone who can you know put the effort in, who's not going to give up and be like, oh, this class is too loud, or or these kids aren't behaving themselves. I'm just going to go home, or I'm not going to, I'm going to do the bare minimum and get out of here. You want someone who's still going to take the time and effort to to do what we've essentially been booked to do. So what are the what are the advantages as you see it of running your own business, being your own boss? So the the main kind of um, advantage but it's also a little bit of a disadvantage um, is the flexibility so for example you're not necessarily uh, working Monday to Friday 9am to 5pm um, some days you'll have the afternoon off some days you'll have a full day off during the week um, but that's also flipped on its head because it means for example I work a lot of weekends um, and also in terms of the timing like no way do you, do you finish at 5pm um, a few times, you know, I've been I've been at the pub with friends at 9 p.m. Um, had a few drinks. Someone calls you up to book a birthday party, and immediately you've got to click into sales mode and be really professional and answer their questions. Um, so it's almost like it's really flexible, but it's also you've got to uh, be motivated to kind of be at work the whole time. Um, and as well, with the animals and looking after the animals, that's a 365, 365 day uh, a year job. You know, every day you've got to, you've got to look after the animals. You've got to make sure they're fed, cleaned out. You can't cut corners, absolutely no way. Um, so sometimes, you know, it does mean that you know, you're like a, 
you have to um, sacrifice other other stuff like leisure time and, and, and stuff like that to make sure you you, you do um, you're there for your clients and also you're there to, to look after the animals and, and that side of it. Yeah. Um, for me, like uh, definitely part of it, which is benefit, um, is that I ne- I never wanted to like even even when I was in school I could never see myself doing a job where you can't just like um. Uh, like you're just there in the office you're doing your job you're sending your emails but it doesn't make any difference for example of what you're actually doing um, that for me would be really demotivating I always wanted to do something where you can physically see that what you've done has, has made a difference um, even if it wasn't being self-employed like for example my master's was in events management because I thought okay if you put on an event <laughs> you can very literally see you know it, it, it take place in front of you and, and I, d- I thought it would be really demotivating to kind of put your effort and time into something um, and then not be able to actually like see a difference mm-hmm. and obviously with wild fangs you know it's, it's very much you can literally see what you're doing is, is you know making a child's birthday party amazing or or showing showing animals to children um, you know your, your, your time your, your time your labor that you're putting into it is is actually making a difference to, to something um, and also like you can guide, you can guide your own decisions you can um, be in charge of, of, of how you want to take it you know, you don't have a boss or someone telling you, like, oh, you've got to do this now, you've got to do that now. Um, so it's flexible in that way as well, I guess. Like time management, you can you can manage your own time to an extent um, and prioritise certain things, get back to certain people first with the emails, um, do your admin at a certain time, um, which for me works really well. Uh, a tiny little personal thing which I, which I, I like as well is I don't have to do any uh, rush hour commute on the tube in the morning. Um, I know it sounds really silly, but for me, like, I don't think I could ever handle that. Like, getting up in the winter, um, getting on, like, a stuffy tube. Uh, I, I, luckily enough, I've, I've not had to do it yet, and hopefully I never will. Um, but I, I, I just can't see how people people can do that unless they have to. So it's like, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that would be any, any way for, for me to live. Final question. So, someone named that wants to get started in the animal encounters business not in the Tuttle Park area but yeah. elsewhere yeah. Um, what are your top tips so the the top tip would be the first one is as I was mentioning like you have to be made aware that it's not you know it's not a product you're selling um, they're live animals you know it's not it's not a business overhead um, so you have to realise that you've got to look after these animals every day of the week um, at all times um uh, all year round. Um, for example, I, I, you know, I can't really go on holiday because there's no one to look after the animals. Um, that's like quite a big commitment. Um, and it's something you've got to take on board. Um, also, like a main cost or something like this is vet bills. If an animal gets ill, you know, it's not a cat or dog. You have to go to a, a specialist, exotic um, animal vet. Um, and you can imagine that's that's, uh, that's quite pricey. Mm. Do you have um, insurance? So the, I don't actually have insurance because the the insurance companies which I contacted would only insure per animal. Um, we've got quite a lot of animals, so it'd essentially be like a lottery on which one would get ill. Um, so what I do instead is I put a little bit of money aside into a separate account. So if you know something was to go wrong, um, I'd have that money put aside to kind of. Um, put towards the vet bills of the animals. Okay. How many um, animals have you got now? So we've got over 25 different species. And there's not necessarily one of everything as well. 
Okay. So it's uh, yeah, it's not it's not quite like Doctor Doolittle. You don't open the fridge and a, and a penguin comes waddling out. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's, there's there's certainly a lot of mouths to feed. Um, so it does, it does take a while to get around to all the animals and, and make sure you, you do the job properly. Um, so yeah, be prepared to kind of uh, sacrifice your, your leisure time. Um, quite heartbreakingly, I've had to miss my, one of my best mates, Stag, do in Las Vegas, um, which is something, we, he, he went to Brighton Uni as well actually, right. and it was something from then on he was like, um, you know, like, I'm gonna save going to Vegas for my Stag do one day. Um, and I just couldn't go because I couldn't, you know, it was, it was twofold. So I couldn't take the time off work because I need to be there to do the visits. And also like, like you know, I need to be there to look after, look after the animals as well. Um, so that's like kind of like the main thing is you need to, to think seriously um, about, you know, the, the commitment and responsibility in your hands in terms of the animals, because that's something that's different to, for example, a, another startup where you know it's just like to use the example of a t-shirt business you know the t-shirts don't mind if you're away for a week um, yeah you're obviously you're entrepreneurial yeah. do you still read up and listen to podcasts are you still researching about business or yeah of course um I, you know I, I do a lot of driving obviously because i've got to go to different settings um, and i get through quite a lot of podcasts um so often even if it's not necessarily like um uh, a startup, even just hearing like biographies of like celebrities or people in the music industry, and and or even sports people, um, how they got started, how they had you know um, their big break, as it were, or, or, or what it was that kind of um, got them to to where they are now. Um, something I found quite interesting is we heard of the uh, imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah, I thought that comes up quite a lot, and that's definitely something which I've had as well, where you kind of feel like you're at any given moment someone's going to tap you on the shoulder and be like come on mate you, you've had you've had your turn now um, let someone else have the fun um, it was quite quite nice because you know for a while I thought maybe maybe that was something that was like unique to me um, but then you, it, it's almost entirely across the board like music, musicians um, sports people um, people in business they've all kind of said like they had that sort of feeling where because they were doing well in something they enjoyed um, it almost felt like they were going to get the tap on the shoulder at any moment. So dealing with those those kind of like occasional negative thoughts, yeah. what, what sort of what keeps you going? What's driven your success? I think like from a young age, because my because my dad's self-employed as well, he's kind of um, instilled it in in me and my brother like to work hard, to be disciplined in what we do, um, and to be proud of our job. So I think that's kind of where when I was saying about like empty labour, like doing something for the sake of, of a paycheck. Um, you know, that's definitely not how how I look at it. Um, and because I've I've been kind of motivated to, you know, this is this is something I've worked so hard to get going, and now it's a fully functioning business. Um, you know, I deserve to I deserve to put you know, all the time and effort into it. Like, there's no point in getting lazy now. So I kind of have the, almost have the same mentality now as I did when I started three and a half years ago. Um, we're kind of like you almost uh, like get like not force yourself, but kind of give yourself a kick up the bum to kind of always uh, be as focused to um, you know to chase sales leads and, and promote the the company and, and work hard to to sell what it is you do as if it was the, the first the first day of starting basically. Great, we'll leave it there. That's brilliant. 
So that was Fike. You can find him at wildfangsuk.wordpress.com and wildfangsuk on Twitter and Facebook. To find out more about Be Purple, such as our latest workshops and the full range of support service that we provide, do go to bepurple.co.uk where you can sign up for our free email newsletter and keep in touch. Got something to say about this podcast? Then send me an email. The address is bepurple at brighton.ac.uk. Thanks very much for listening. I shall see you in a cafe soon for the next episode of Founder Chats. Chats.